Well, today, obviously, here in America, we uh, celebrate the 4th of July. And as American citizens, we get to celebrate our independence as a sovereign country. And those of us who are American citizens, we enjoy the many benefits and privileges um, of being American citizens. And today, obviously, we are closing and wrapping up the letter that Paul wrote to the church and Philippi. And I got to be honest, I'm just kind of loving God's wisdom and that my plan, my plan, was not to do this today. I thought I was going to have a standalone message and the way that the series unfolded and found out that realized, ah, actually, I'm going to be wrapping this up um, on the 4th of July. And I thought it was incredibly brilliant uh, and wise of the Lord to I want to say let that happen, but I think that he's sovereign and, and helps lead things uh, into happening. And so, uh, but this day that we celebrate the drafting of the Declaration of Independence, as we close the book of Philippians, we'll see that this letter that Paul drafted to the Philippian church is unofficially his own declaration of dependence. His own declaration of dependence as we look back through this letter and we consider everything that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks going through this letter that over and over and over Paul is giving illustrations, giving cases, giving calls that declare dependence on God. And he's inviting the Philippian church into that same dependence. Now, in case you have forgotten or didn't know, remember, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is a Jew, born a Jew, but he is also a Roman citizen. Paul is, is very much an unusual, he's like a unicorn, so to speak, in that he's very rare in that the combination of being born a Jew, also being born a Roman citizen, also being someone who is educated to speak Greek and very versed in the Greek culture of that day as well, and also being someone who at the same time, the fourth dimension was that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. This is very peculiar to have that combination of these four things going on. And many people have wondered, well, how did Paul, a Jew, even become a Roman citizen? Because in that day, in the heights of the Roman Empire, or in the reign of the Roman Empire, there were three ways that you could become a Roman citizen. The first and the most obvious is by birth, that if your father was a Roman citizen, by birth, you became a Roman citizen. The second was called manumission. And that way of becoming a Roman citizen was that either you were a slave to a Roman citizen, and that Roman citizen liked you or favored you and chose to grant you freedom from being a slave. And if you were the slave of a Roman citizen and were granted freedom, then you became a Roman citizen. Another facet of manumission uh, into Roman citizenship was if you served the Roman Empire in warfare as a soldier for 25 years, then you got to become a Roman citizen if you survived. And so that was, those were the facets of manumission as to how you could become uh, a Roman citizen. The third, uh, the third way that you could become a Roman citizen was through special concession. Obviously, as the Roman Empire was expanding throughout 
that region and that area, that domain, as, that, as the domain of the Roman Empire expanded, uh, the rulers and governors would send out and, and, and place more rulers and governors under them and magistrates under them. And what often happened when a new magistrate or governor or general would come into a city or village or region as the appointed leader, they needed to try and gain favor with the people that they were leading. And so often what they would do is they would find people of good rapport, good reputation, people that were liked in the community, and by special commission, or I'm sorry, special concession, concede and grant those individuals of influence Roman citizenship, that as authorized authorities in that area, bearing the name, the signet, the authority of the Roman Empire, they had the right to be able to go, hey, you know what? All the people in this community really like you, and I want all these people in the community to follow me and obey me and like me, so I'm going to make you a Roman citizen so that you will like me, and then you will go and say good things about me. And so these are all the three different ways that you could become a Roman citizen. And then as we look at Paul in his life, uh, what we know of him is that it's very likely that he was very wealthy. The fact that he was studying under Gamaliel, the fact that he was a Pharisee, uh, many different things like that in Paul's life that we see from Scripture imply that he was born into and raised in probably a wealthy family in Tarsus um, that were Jews. And remember, Paul, a few chapters earlier in Philippi, had gone through this whole, remember, I'm a Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, that I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. So he and his family are able to trace their lineage all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin, proving that they are Jews, yet at the same time, Roman citizenship, it's likely, most likely, that Paul's family was influential in Tarshish, and therefore, whoever the magistrate, ruler, or whoever was in place at that point in time, probably gave them special concession and granted them um, citizenship. There's some who think it was because of manumission from slavery and then release, but uh, some other things like the wealth are problematic there. So anyways, all of that to say, Paul, born a Jew, also born a Roman citizen, also one educated in Greek, also one who is a follower of Christ, is someone who really understood the dynamic of having lines and blurred lines of citizenship and and at certain times even said, I'm going to be all things to all men that I might win some to Christ. Someone who understood that who I'm around and who I'm with is going to affect the way that I live, the way that I behave. Ultimately, why? So that he could win some to Christ. And to this church in Philippi, remembering one more time that this is a people in a colony, Philippi, that is a Roman colony, not in Rome uh, but it was taken over by Rome, and it became a Roman colony, and then the emperor of Rome designated that city to be a place where GIs would retire and receive land as an inheritance for serving Caesar. And so this is a very, 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 very patriotic community with loyalty and patriotism to Rome. And in this place, one more time, is where Paul writes this letter where he says to them, hey, remember, there are people who are the cross of Christ or enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly, 
who glory in their shame, their end is destruction, whose mind is set on things of the earth. And then what does he say? We've said it a couple weeks in a row now, but our citizenship is in bingo. So he's saying our citizenship is not of Philippi, even though you have Philippian citizenship. Our citizenship is not of Rome, even though you have Roman citizenship. Our citizenship ultimately, greater than those things, is citizenship in heaven. And I believe that Paul's letter to the church in Philippi to us Americans on the 4th of July would say, man, yeah, let's absolutely enjoy the blessings and be thankful for the freedom and praise God that we can come together today in this room and online singing and praising and declaring the glory of Jesus Christ without fear of being arrested or, or being, uh, you know, imprisoned or whatever we could have in other places around the world today where that's happening. But ultimately, putting our citizenship of heaven as paramount above whatever other citizenship we might have. Remember, many ways that Paul declared his dependence on God throughout this letter. In chapter 1, verse 6, remember he said, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the perfect day or until the day of the Lord. And then he would go on in chapter 2 to say, It is God who works in you both to will and to do what pleases him. Those two verses together showing that we ought to be dependent on God to continue working in us until we go be with him in eternity. Amen? In Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he said, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he said this famous verse that we talked about already, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That declaration of dependence in life and in death, dependence on Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 and verse 5, he said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, talking about humility, right? He's calling the Philippian church to walk in unity through humility. And he says this, that you have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that if you are going to walk in unity and if you are going to have humility, it's going to be fully dependent on Jesus Christ and looking at him to give that to you, dependent on Jesus Christ. And also being mindful, the same era that Paul is writing this is 400-ish years after a pretty famous philosopher named Aristotle was in the area and the domain. And Aristotle one of the things that he was famous for was giving this list of vices and virtues. And Aristotle, who would have been significantly influential in the worldviews and philosophies and thought process, processes of the people that Paul was writing to, Aristotle taught it is a vice to walk in undue humility. And he said it is a virtue to walk in proper pride. How countercultural to that is what Paul is calling the Philippian church into. Consider others before yourselves and above yourselves. Look not unto the interests of yourselves, but the interests of others. And have the mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and submitted to the Father's authority and the Father's commands that he would go to the death on the cross. This is extremely countercultural to what the Philippians were living in. And so Paul, one more time here, is declaring this invitation of dependence on God. 
In Philippians 2, 10 and 11, he says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord forever. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is forever going to be Lord. So let's just go ahead and depend on him now. Not on Caesar, not on our governors or kings or on our magistrates or whatever authorities and rulers were in place that were placed by God, and we can get into other passages to see that, but let's declare our dependence on God. If we go to Philippians chapter 3, he said, I count everything as a loss because of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, counting it as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, declaring, if I am to be right with God, it is only because I am fully dependent on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not because I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, not because I studied under Gamaliel, not because I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, not because I'm a zealous Pharisee, but because I know Jesus Christ, declaring his dependence of his life on Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, he would go on again to say, I forget what lies behind and I press toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, living with Christ for eternity, declaring that his hope and his joy was not anchored in what he was in and has now, but in what was to come, depending on the Lord. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, what we already cited, where he talked about the enemies of the cross of Christ, but our citizenship is in heaven. Everything that Paul has said of himself or called the Philippians into is extremely counter-cultural to the society they lived in, to the day and age that they lived in. Now, here we go. Here we go again. Today, we live in America. And what a blessing and a privilege and a good and gracious gift it is to us Americans that God gave us that. Where we have to be careful is making sure that we don't take any, any good and gracious gift from God and elevate it to being what we love and worship and prize and treasure. We ought to go, man, thank you, God, for putting me here. You put me here for a reason and let me use my American citizenship towards my heavenly citizenship that I could use the rights and privileges and freedoms given to me for your purposes, for your goodness, for your renown, for your mission, and not my own, right? And I would do it, let God let us do this in a way where we guard our hearts to where we're thankful for the gift but don't let the gift become what terminates as the object of our affections, right? But that our affections would roll up, that we would see the freedom we have, the gifts that we have, and let those affections roll up to the giver of the gift, amen? That Jesus Christ is where our affections ought to turn, that we ought to see, and we saw Paul do the same thing. Remember, in week one, as we began studying the book of Philippians, we went to Acts chapter 16, and this is the account where Paul goes into Philipp, uh, to Philippi, begins f- preaching the gospel. Lydia gets saved, sets the demoniac Greek girl free from her oppression. The jailer gets saved after the chains or after the prison rattles and they're all set free. This place where Paul went and he begins preaching the gospel to them is a place where he was then thrown in prison after he was beaten with rods. 
They get free after the whole shaking of the prison situation happened. The magistrates come and they're like, oh, let's get these guys out of here nice and quiet. And what does Paul say? He invokes his Roman citizenship. He says, not so fast. You brought us into prison and you beat us and imprisoned us, two of us Roman citizens. So he invoked his natural Roman citizenship for the purposes of God. Now, he didn't do this a lot, at least that we have account of in Scripture. There are a few times that he did. But it's interesting that as he went into Philippi, he didn't come in there going, hey, guys, I'm a Roman citizen, and let me tell you. No, he came in with, with trying to keep that quiet, so to speak, in order that it wouldn't be a stumbling block for the gospel. But when he needed to use it, he did. And so all that to say, let's be thankful for our citizenship. Let's, let's enjoy it unto the glory of God. Use it for God's purposes, unto the glory of God as he has placed us here for his purposes. Amen? Let us also not forget the many, many times throughout this letter that Paul mentions his own rejoicing in Christ and his call to the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord as well. As we saw in Philippians 1.18, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in that I rejoice. And Philippians 3, 1, he says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. In Philippians 4, 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Notice that the rejoicing was always in what? In the Lord, in Jesus Christ. This guy who's in prison, who's arrested for his faith, who's getting, he's at the end of his life, ready to lay down his life for the cross of Christ continuing to say, rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. And as we pick up now where we left off, we're going to see it one more time. Philippians 4 and verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul, as he goes into this section where he's talking to the Philippian church about how they revived their, their, their care for him. That, that term, the Greek term there, where he says revived is actually a botanical term of that day, one that was used in botany. It's, it's one that would represent rebudding or reblooming in the spring. And so when he says, you've revived your concern for me, it's something that was already there. And it was revived, it bloomed again, their care and concern. And he said, not that you didn't care, but you lacked opportunity. Meaning, I know that you always cared about me, but there was a time that you didn't have opportunity to care for me. And so Paul is thanking them for caring for him. But notice one more time here, as we talk about de declaring our dependence on God, and he's talking about the gift that they gave to him, the provision that they sent to him, the care that they had for him. He says, and I rejoiced, what? And I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Meaning, I didn't rejoice 
just in you and in your gift and in your care and in your provision. Your care, your provision caused me once again to go, whoa, roll that rejoicing, not in them, not in the gift, but roll the rejoicing up to God, the provider, God who made way. God who gave opportunity. God who provided to the Philippians and unto Paul. One more time where Paul's going, man, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord greatly that your care for me has been revived once again. Now, after saying that, we're going to walk into what is one of the most misunderstood, most misapplied and misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. That if there was a top 10, this has got to be in the top three. As he goes on, he wants them to, I, I, notice this, he's just said, thank you for caring about me, and I rejoice in the Lord that your care for me has been revived, has bloomed again. And then he wants to make sure, though, that they don't think that he has been in circumstances where he's not been okay, even though he's in, been in prison and all that. He goes on to say, not that I am speaking, in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's saying, I'm not talking, I'm not celebrating and rejoicing that you cared for me because I'm in need. Because listen, guys, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through a scripture taken out of context. <laughs> I wish I made that up. That's pretty clever. I don't know who made it up, but I saw it online and I was like, that's genius. When you keep scriptures in their context, that is how you get the proper meaning and understanding of what he's saying. I am thankful that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is written on the shoe of a famous basketball player. I am thankful that there are celebrities who put Philippians 4.13 in their Instagram bio. I am thankful that it's a popular verse and I'm thankful that it's on wall art in our kitchens and on our mugs and on our t-shirts and that people are so aware and mindful of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But when you read it in this context, when he says, not that I'm talking about being in need, because I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to be abased. I've, I've been up. I've been brought low. I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. To say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is to say, I can be fine with whatever's going on because Jesus Christ gives me strength. Completely different meaning from what America has made that verse to mean. It doesn't mean I can hit this buzzer beater right before and win the game through Christ who strengthens me. I did it through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean I can work hard and strive to get that promotion through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure and, and stay focused in my studies and graduate and, and graduate summa cum laude, whatever, all that kind of stuff through Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. In context, that's not what it means. That's why I love that goofy quote. I can do all things through a scripture taken out of context. 
Because what Paul is declaring here and needs to be something that confronts Americans over and over and over and over, we who have not lacked like many most in the world, we are blessed. Even if you are in the lower class of America, you are rich compared to the world. We are rich. We are blessed. And we should be thankful for that. That's not wrong. We should recognize God gave us these things for his purposes, and we ought to live on mission. And Paul is saying, whatever state, remember, he's in prison. He's arrested and he's getting ready to die. Let's, let's shine a little bit more light on this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I just went ahead and got, got ranting real quick and I passed over our bottom line for the week. But when things are good, when things are bad, Christ is enough. That's what Paul wants us to see here. When things are good, when things are bad, Christ is enough. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 now. I'm getting a little off script in the way that I'm going through this. Thanks, Andrew, for just rolling with me on the slides and staying sharp. You're the man. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, saying five times I was whipped. Okay? Three times I was beaten with rods. One of those times we saw in Acts chapter 16 in the city of Philippi. Once I was stoned. No, he's not talking about recreational activity. <laughs> he's talking about literal rocks, stones being thrown at you. I don't know if you've ever had a rock thrown at you. It hurts. And to be stoned in that day was an attempt to kill you. It was a penalty, a punishment. They're trying to take his life. Once I was stoned three times, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Whew. Think about all that stuff we just read that Paul went through. And to the church in Philippi, he says, I have learned to abound and I've learned to abase. I've learned to be brought low, whipped three times, or whipped the five times, whipped, beaten three times, stoned once, shipwrecked all those times, danger, 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 Will Robinson. All these situations that Paul cites through, all these things that are accounted here happened before he pens or dictates, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I can do all these things. I can be whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and danger and danger and danger and danger and the pressure of being mindful of everything that's going on with all the churches. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. That sounds a lot different 
right? Than taking that verse to go, I could do anything because Jesus, right? Way different conversations here. And the mantra, the theme, the heartbeat that comes out of these statements is our bottom line that in the good and the bad, Christ is enough. That when you truly have Jesus Christ indwelling in you and you see him as the goal, the prize worth losing everything for, the treasure worth selling all that you might buy the field and gain the treasure, the pearl of great price worth selling all that you might buy the pearl of great price. Like Paul saying, all those things I once thought were so important, I now count as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And man, if we have a bad day, we're like, whoa, it's me. And, and I don't want to downplay. I do not want to downplay our suffering because suffering is real and we experience it and God uses it for our good and for his glory, for his purposes. Paul shows that over and over and over where earlier he said, yeah, I'm in prison, but now all the imperial guards hearing about Christ. And yeah, people are preaching Christ for wrong reasons, but they're preaching Christ, so I'm excited. And other people in Rome are getting boldness to preach Christ too because I'm in prison. Someone who is able to just over and over go, yeah, 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 but Jesus. Just trying, I imagine trying to get Paul's eyes off of Jesus was hard. And one more time, I want to say this again. The temptation as we see and read these things is to go, man, wow. Paul. I want to be more like Paul. God, help me be more like Paul. And the better thing to see is go, man, what kind of Jesus would make Paul say all that stuff I once thought was so important is not important anymore. I count it as rubbish, dog dung. Get it out. It's garbage. I don't care about it anymore. It's not important anymore. What kind of Jesus could cause that to happen in Paul's heart? to where he is giving everything he can, studying under Gamaliel, studying to become a renowned Pharisee, going to become one of the top dogs, and goes, actually, you know what? That stuff's garbage now, because I've seen Christ. And we ought to look at that and go, man, okay, have I seen Jesus in a way that does that to me too, to where I can go everything in my life that I thought was so important can I count it as rubbish? And I want to also just point out right here, as we go through that list of everything that Paul cited to the Corinthian church of all the sufferings he went through, this is why I hate, hate, hate prosperity gospel theology. The idea that if you follow God and follow Jesus and worship him, that you're never going to suffer, you'll never be sick, you're never going to go through anything. Like Paul would hear that and go, Not only Paul, but did you know all the apostles died bad? <laughs> they, they died badly <laughs> for the gospel. And we can see a history. If you start studying church history, it's really hard to believe prosperity gospel because you see generation after generation after generation of people who are following Jesus Christ and dying for it being beheaded for it, burned alive for it, being boiled in oil for it, being buried alive, all these different things for Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe that stuff when you even look then beyond that to the example of Jesus, our suffering servant Savior. Amen? If we kept on reading 
in this same passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we carried on into chapter 12. Paul goes on and he starts talking about all these revelations that God was giving him. It's like God began to give me these incredible revelations where he was caught up into the third heaven. And, and he goes on and he says, but in order that I don't get proud and boastful and haughty, let's actually read here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, let me just pause and ask real quick. Who would not want Paul to become conceited? If there are two forces at play, God and Satan, which one would not want Paul to become conceited? It's easy. God. God is the one who doesn't want Paul to become conceited, right? Okay, so keep that in mind. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Interesting so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Whoa, wait a minute. There's that word again. Talking about this suffering that he's going through and how he prayed three times that God would take it away, and God answered his prayer by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, all that stuff that he just listed in the previous chapter. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we hop back over to Philippians chapter 3, where he said, guys, I've learned in whatever state I am in to be content, I can abase, I can abound, I can be wealthy, I can be poor, I can have good days and bad days, I can be content. What is the secret? He said, I have learned the secret. The secret is knowing Jesus Christ. Having Jesus Christ in us makes us content because we have the thing that all the worldly things cannot reach or touch. That no matter if things are going great, then we turn the great things and roll them up into glory to God and use them for his purposes. If things are not going well, like Paul, we want to go, man, this stinks, but you know what? There's got to be a way God's using this for his purposes and for his glory and also for my good. And we don't like to think that these things could be for our good. We don't like to consider that a thorn in the flesh given by God so that Paul wouldn't become conceited we don't like to consider that those things could possibly be for our good. In fact, Paul prays three times that it would be taken away. And so I'm going to go all good old Garth Brooks thanking God for unanswered prayers. I would have sang it, but I don't know the melody because I don't really listen to a lot of country music. But you know the song or you've heard it. And if you haven't, he sang a song talking about thanking the Lord for unanswered prayers I personally can thank God for unanswered prayers. If God had answered every prayer that I prayed, I wouldn't be married to my wife right now. I wouldn't have my daughters right now. I wouldn't be standing here right now. 
And I thank God that he doesn't say yes every time. Because God is infinitely wise, looks into our temporary circumstances from his eternal perspective, loves us more than we can even fathom. And it is his love that drives with his wisdom the way that he governs and guides and leads our lives and chooses to say yes and chooses to say no for our good and for his glory. And when the answer is no, by the grace of God, by the strength in Christ that Paul is declaring dependence on, hopefully we can say amen and go, Lord, help me be content in whatever state I'm in because Christ is enough, because the strength that Christ gives. See, what we, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around is that even the suffering that God even allows or ordains in our lives is for our good because it keeps us close to him. That's what's, what's shown in 2 Corinthians 12 there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Context matters. Context matters. So don't, don't let your Christianity be go, oh. their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. Hmm, Lord, what does that mean? Context matters when you're studying scripture. Okay, Philippians 4, continuing on in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent, me, you sent help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Whoa, the Philippians would have thought, wait, Caesar's household? Some of them got saved? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What can we see here? Paul is explaining to them, our giving to the work of the Lord. First, he says, our giving to the work of the Lord is a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. He says that this is a pleasant aroma to the Lord. Oh boy, here we go. The preacher's talking about giving. Listen. I just want to go ahead and say this. If you are ever suspicious that I'm preaching or ever saying anything about money so that you'll give to the church, don't give here. Give somewhere else. If you're worried about that, okay, let me just say that. Because I'm, I'm, we're going through Philippians, and I'm talking about this because it's in Philippians. I wasn't like, this is where I get to get their money. <laughs> this is what Paul is telling the church in Philippi. So, as he says that none of them partnered with him, even Thessalonica, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift sent to you, or the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Listen, our giving to the Lord to his purposes is a pleasing sacrifice 
to him. And, and also, it ought to be a sacrifice. It ought to, if we're serving the Lord, it ought to make us go, ooh, that hurt a little bit. Like, do we just give the chump change? And listen, again, I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about whatever the Lord might be putting in your heart to do with your money, your time, your resources for his kingdom, for his purposes. Is it sacrificial? A good thing to ask yourself is, what is sacrificial for me? What for me, for my family, our conditions, our bank account, our schedule, our time, what is sacrificial for us? Because depending on whatever situations we are in, giving a certain amount might be sacrificial for one and be chump change for another. And so God loves the cheerful giver, but also here we're called to live sacrificially for the Lord. And then beyond that, we can also see that when we are about God's mission, God will not let us lack anything we need. He said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One more time, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel where we give to get. I'm not saying if you give $1,000 today, then the floodgates are open and God's going to give you a Lexus and blah, 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 blah. But what is clear in here and also makes me think back to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear as God is caring for the sparrows and the lilies who are here today and gone tomorrow. God cares so much more about us. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This is an echo of the same thing. Declaring that if you are about God's mission, when we are about God's mission, God will not let us lack anything we need. Like, like God is going to see somebody who is giving everything up to follow him and serve him and please him and glorify him and declare his goodness and be on his mission and bring people into the kingdom and go, eh, I'm not going to take care of you. No. He's a good, loving, gracious, and faithful God and Father. And so... We need to trust that when we're about him, he's going to take care of us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And if you could, Andrew, put that last point up, that when we're about God's mission, God will not let us lack anything we need. Notice we underlined need. And we've got to filter that. You know, sometimes <laughs> my daughters come up to me. Yesterday, my daughter Joey came up to me. Daddy, I need a popsicle. Do you? I think you want a popsicle. I don't think you need a popsicle. No, Daddy, I need a popsicle. You're cute, you're sweet, you don't know what you're saying. She wants a popsicle. A lot of times, we blur the lines between wants and needs. And we feel like God is failing us because we're not getting what we need when it's really a lot of times what we want. And if we could have the vision of Christ that Paul has, then we actually realize we don't need nearly as much as we think we need and that we can be content in whatever state we are in because Christ is enough and we are dependent on him. Declaring our need for Jesus Christ our dependence on him. Paul's letter to the Philippian church is a proclamation of the supremacy of Jesus Christ as the all-sufficient, heart-fulfilling, joy-fueling satisfier of the soul. 
It is a declaration of the absolute undying dependence on him because of the surpassing worth, surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That leads to contentment in all things. Have you ever had that thing where it's like, as long as I've got this, a lot of times we hear that about our spouse, right? That, that whole, va- the vows on the wedding day, in sickness and in health, richer for poor, to love and to cherish, to have and hold, all those things. Why? You say those things because as long as I've got you, sweetie, we're going to make it through that stuff. This is a declaration of the same nature. As long as we've got Christ, we've got everything we need. And we can be content in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. Because we've got everything we need in Christ. All these good and gracious gifts that God has given to us should be enjoyed in a way that declares to the world that these gifts are not our treasure. But Christ is. We ought to live in a way that shows those who see us and watch us and look at us live in a way with the good things that God has given us that shows them these good things are not our treasure. Jesus Christ is. Take them or leave them, we've got Christ. Good days, bad days, we've got Christ. And he is enough. And he will forever be enough. He is enough and he will forever be enough. And imagine the Jesus Christ who in eternity you can behold face to face and be captivated by and enamored with for eternity. That's the Christ that we have indwelling us right now as children of God. Lord, thank you for being all that we need. God, I ask that you would, if there's anyone here who has not seen Jesus as the treasure, if there's anyone watching online who has not seen Jesus as the treasure that is worth selling all to gain, who is worth counting everything else as loss to gain Christ, God, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would open eyes right now to see the beauty, the infinite worth and value, the supremacy, the glory, the majesty, the wonder of Jesus Christ that causes all other things to grow dim. God, I ask that you would bring people to repentance today that if we have been giving our heart over to created things rather than the creator, if we have been worshiping the creation rather than the creator, if we have allowed our heart to be seduced and drawn to worldly things rather than the king of heaven, I ask that you would help us to repent and to place all of our hope, all of our love, all of our affections, all of our joy on Jesus Christ as the object of our affection, object of our hope, object of our joy, the King of glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen.